0: Let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Lord, as we go now to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Again, man would decrease, your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. And we thank you, Lord, that everyone who's here or those watching on live stream or watching later are here by divine appointment. Again, give us attentive ears and willing hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. So we have outlines on the back table. If you didn't get one, raise your hand, we'll get you one. It'll help you uh, to go along with the message if you have an outline. And so as we know, we've come into 2 Kings and we saw the death of Solomon. And we know that uh, early in, you know, earlier, and when Solomon died, the nation was split in two. The northern 10 tribes were, are called Israel and the southern two tribes are called Judah. And we have seen that the kings, each of the kings, for the most part, especially all the kings in Israel have been evil, every one of them. And It always blows me away because we, all, we can lose context and forget that these are the same people that God brought out of Egypt. These are the same people that God spoke to from Mount Sinai and their, their ancestors. They're the same people that God provided for as they wandered in the wilderness. The same people that God gave victory over the giants in the land and how quickly we can forget the greatness of God and start focusing on the false gods of this world. Amen. And so we see that even today within the church where we get our eyes off of the Lord. And so I tell the message, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And here are the, here are the points we'll look at. There's seven of them tonight. Number one, be hot or cold. You know, our parents, other Christians in the world are not the standard for how we're supposed to live. Amen? Amen? amen. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm thinking you're napping. I know it's warm in here, but come on. Amen. Okay, there you go. That a girl. We need a little of that. I, you know where this whole amen thing came from? I was a youth pastor for a long time and i making sure that teenagers weren't asleep. Amen? Okay. There it is. That's where it came from. So be it. Are we, are we together here? Are we hanging? So first of all, be, be hot or cold. And we need to make sure, again, we don't look to the world. The world is a mess. Amen? And the world is following after everything but the Lord. And if you make a stand for God today, you're considered a homophobe or a hypocrite or a bigot or whatever it might be. By the way, it's pride month pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen. Amen. We have our hope in Jesus and we don't want to prop up sinful behavior. We want to love everyone. Let's make sure we do that. Love everyone, but we don't stand for ungodliness and try to make it seem like it's okay. So number one, be hot or cold. Jesus is the example that we follow and no one else. Number two, the enemy will test the resolve of those that are following the Lord. If you're walking with God, you can expect opposition. If you never face opposition, if you never face any kind of persecution, it's because we're not walking with the Lord strong enough. Amen. When you make a stand for God, not everyone's going to like it. Don't be a jerk. Don't be self-righteous. Be kind, be loving, be gracious, but be bold. Amen. Number three, may we not be moved uh, too hastily by fear, fleshly desires, or circumstances. We're going to see in tonight's text that Jehoshaphat, the king of, of Judah, who was actually a godly man, just really quickly throws himself in alliance with the ungodly king in Israel. And often we can do that where we just move based on what we think is right. Or, or, we're so worried about, you know, the, the opposition is growing and we'll step out without waiting upon the Lord. And I want to encourage you when you make a major decision, and truthfully, almost every decision, we should seek the Lord. Amen. Stop, spend time in his presence and don't move until God says go, amen? Number four, a man of God is to speak the word of God without compromise or regard for men. That's also women of God, children of God. We speak the word of God without compromise. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We should never apologize for the Bible. We should never water it down. We should speak the truth with boldness. Number five, worship brings us into God's presence and prepares us to receive from him. By the way, that's a good note. And again, I get it. Some people work late and you can't really get here in time, but Sunday mornings, especially worship is not the pregame for the game. Can I get an amen to that? It's not, it's not the, it's not, you're not missing the previews for coming attractions when you miss worship. You're missing the thing, the only thing we're going to one of the only things we're going to do in heaven that we do here. Amen? Man, we are asleep tonight. Is it too warm in here? What happened? So here's the reality. The reality is that worship is so key to our walk with God. And when you're going to see in tonight's text, and when Jehoshaphat needs wisdom, you know what he does? He calls her musician and he starts to worship the Lord. And that was his prelude to seeking the Lord. And so worship should be something that just pours out of every believer. Worship should be a get to, not a have to. You know, when you think about all that the Lord has done for us, it should cause you to want to praise him. Amen. And so worship is key. And it brings us into God's presence and prepares us to receive from him. And that's why it's so important that we begin each service with worship. Number five, number six, excuse me, obey God's commands, even when they don't make sense in the moment. Sometimes we're going to get direction from the Lord, from his word. And when we're doing it, it just doesn't make sense. We don't understand what the outcome will be. We don't need to understand what the outcome will be. We just need to trust that God knows what the outcome will be. Amen? So we trust in the sovereignty of God, and because he is in control, and because he is faithful, even when it doesn't necessarily make sense to us, we obey God rather than man. And then finally, hard hearts will choose their false gods over the grace and truth of the living God. We're going to see it tonight. There's going to be a battle with the Moabites, and the Moabites are going to lose this battle, uh, spoiler alert. They're going to lose the battle, and instead of surrendering they are going to try to please their God. And it's going to be Moab, the king of Moab is going to kill his own son and stick him up on the wall. as a way to appease their God because they lost the battle. Guys, we don't again, fall into the trap. We should never, the world understand hard hearts will choose their false gods over the grace of the true and living God. So let's begin there looking at the battle belongs to the Lord. Be ye hot, or cold. Verse one. Now, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria. That was the capital of Israel in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah and reigned 12 years. So as we read through Kings and Chronicles, you're going to see that they'll always align the times when we're talking about the king in the North, they'll equate it to when the king of the South was serving. So Jehoshaphat, who was a godly man, was serving in Israel or excuse me, in Judah, and the new king in Israel. If you'll remember, the previous king died in the previous chapter, and because and he was also a son of Ahab and Jezebel, and he dishonored God, and God allowed him, you know, he died. And now because there was no one else, they raised up another brother of Ahab and Jezebel. What happened there? My phone's off, how'd that even happen? Again, when you're trying to teach the word of the enemy. okay. So most of the events of this chapter we're going to see later are actually, well, they're actually recorded in some Moabite writings that just were discovered about a hundred years ago. And what's amazing is when you read, it's called the Moabite stone. When you read it, it's, it aligns with scripture that was written over 3000 years ago. See, the word of God is always right. Amen. And what's interesting about this again, is that this king is named and again, he is the king that takes over and his parents are Ahab and Jezebel. And if you were here, what kind of people are Ahab and Jezebel? There's a word for him. What is it? Evil. evil. Jezebel, again, you've heard me say it. She's so evil, she broke her name. Amen? She's such a vile individual. No one names her kid Jezebel anymore. Ahab and Jezebel were godless. They were the ones who brought the false gods into Israel, the god Baal and Asheroth. Look at verse two. It says there, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So Jeroboam says he recognizes, excuse me, Jehoram recognizes that Baal worship is wrong. And so he stops the worship of Baal. Now, praise God for that. Now, it's amazing to me that it took this long, because if you remember, Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. You guys remember that? Mount Carmel. And they called down fire from the sky, and we saw that the prophets of Baal were worthless. Remember, they cried out, and they wounded themselves, and they cried out to their God, and their God did nothing? Because their God doesn't exist. Amen? And so what ended up happening is all the prophets of Baal were put to death. Elijah brought them down to the river, they killed them all with a sword, and they all died. And yet, people continued to worship this false God after the true and living God proved himself to be God. They cried out for fire to come down from the sky, and it never happened. And then Elijah calls out one time, the fire comes down and consumes the altar, proving that our God is God. Amen? Now, what's amazing to me is now the next generation, it takes all this time. For someone to finally recognize, yeah, Baal, not so much. But sadly, even though he got rid of Baal, which is a step in the right direction, the worship of Baal, even though we're gonna see when we get to chapter 10, people are still worshiping Baal. But he, you know, he has stepped away from it to some degree. He put away the pillar to Baal. He basically took down a place where they worship Baal. But in verse 3 it says, Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. If you were here back in 1 Kings, you will recall. The Jeroboam, when the nations were split in half, he was worried that if the people of Israel went down to Jerusalem to worship the true and living God when they were supposed to make sacrifices, they might never come back. So what did he do? He put up altars in Dan, which is in the northern portion of, of, of Israel, and Bethel, which is toward the middle portion of Israel, and he set up these altars to, and some will say to the true and living God, but he set up golden calves. And he basically said, you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can have convenient worship. Just stay here. You don't need me to make that great trek down there. And here's the same thing that happens in our relationship with God today. People want to come to God on their own terms. I'll come to God if it's easy, if it's convenient. By the way, I hear it a lot. Man, you just teach too long. I can't do it. It's just too much you have to teach for an hour as they're on their way to watch Lord of the Rings for three hours in the movie theater or drive to a Dodger game and take two hours to get in the parking lot and spend three hours at the game and two hours to get out? Guys, where your treasures, there, your heart will be also, amen? But it's amazing to me that people want us, well, that's just too much of the word. I, I, guys, let me clue you in. You'll never get too much of God's word, amen? And so they wanna make it convenient And he says, look, just go to Dan. And if you go to Israel, if we ever get back there after COVID, when we go to Israel, that altar in Dan is still there. And when you go there, you can literally teach a Bible study out of the chapter that talks about him setting up this altar to this false God. Why do they keep worshiping golden calves? They should have learned in Egypt that golden calves are of no value. Amen. And they had a golden calf at Mount Sinai. They keep doing golden calves. I don't get it but they continue to do it. So here's the reality. He took down the altar to Baal, but he continued the false worship to the false gods in his own land. And so I titled that Be Hot or Cold. Now look, he's doing better than his parents did. That's what the text says. But your parents are not the guideline for your holiness. Jesus is. Amen. We don't say, well, I'm doing better than so-and-so like we think God grades on a curve somehow. Well, I'm better than Hitler and I'm better than Osama bin Laden and I'm no Saddam Hussein and I'm no Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, God bless you for that. But here's the reality. They're not the standard Jesus is. Amen. And how are we doing compared to him? We all fall short of the glory of God. And so the exhortation here, and we see this picture that we got a new king. He is better than his parents. But be hot or cold if you're lukewarm will spew you out of my mouth, amen? It's not good enough to be better than somebody else. We must be right with the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father. He put away that pillar of Baal. Baal worship had been brought to Israel by King Ahab and his pagan wife Jezebel. And a pagan God of thunder and fertility is who Baal was. And remember how they proved that Baal wasn't God. Elijah came and said, it's not gonna rain because, you know, Baal's the God of thunder. Oh, if that's your God, the God of thunder and rain. Well, if he's truly God, then you won't have a problem with this, but I'm telling you, it's not going to rain. And that proved that Baal was not God, that Jesus alone is God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, again, Jehovah is the true and living God. So Elijah confronted him about his pagan idolatry. He told him it would not rain until he said so. And he later challenged the prophets of Baal and proved that Baal was not God. So he, but at the same time, while he set aside Baal, he still allowed the, you know, the worship of these golden calves to continue in Israel. As Christians. Guys, we cannot, we must not, we should not allow ourselves to become like the world. Amen? I'm sure a few of you and someone watching online got offended when I said it's Pride Month and spoke about it negatively. Love is love. No, some of it's perversion. Can I get an amen to that? Now, do we love everyone? What's the answer? But what happens is we become desensitized to sin over time, don't we? And the more it's put in front of us, the more we start to think it's okay. Okay? And the reality is God created male and female, amen? And everything we see going on in the world, they attack creation with evolution. They attacked marriage between a man and a wife to make it, again, a false view of marriage, which is a picture of Christ in the church, amen? And we continue to see the attack, genders. God created us male and female. It's in Genesis. And as long as we continue to attack the word of God, if we're not careful as Christians, we're going to start compromising and acting like what they're teaching is okay. You know what's sad? These people need Jesus. Amen? And we need to love them unconditionally. Don't be self-righteous, but never allow yourself to compromise the way the Jehoram is. Jehoram. He, what is he doing? He's allowing the continued worship of false idols. He got rid of Baal, but he didn't go far enough. Point number two, the enemy will test the resolve of those that are following the Lord. Watch what happens. Now, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheepherder. And he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. I need to correct something. I was talking too quickly. Somebody caught it. Randy caught it and he was right. He said, that I said, the Moabites were descendants of Esau. They're not. They're descendants of Lot. Do you remember when Lot escaped Sodom? You guys remember that? And do you remember when he escaped, his wife was turned into what? Pillar her salt because she turned back. But do you remember what his daughters did? Who remembers? What did his daughters do? They got him drunk and slept with him and had children. And, and one of those tribes that came out of that relationship was the Moabites. So the Moabites came from this ancestral relationship between drunken lot and his daughters. His daughters thought because they had escaped Sodom and Gomorrah, there'd be nobody to help them father children. And so this is where that was founded. So the Moabites were a land next to Israel, modern day Syria, and where they were, even though they had their own king and they had their own kingdom, they had to pay tribute to Israel so that Israel would not destroy them. So what happened was, they were giving a hundred thousand sheep, and a hundred thousand uh, of the you know the the wool that comes from the rams and given and they had to give that every however often every year or however often it was, and it was tribute to basically say we owe you this. They're being taxed by them, and they're doing this doing this so that Israel will not conquer them. So this is their way of showing that they're submitted to Israel. Now Ahab dies. And when Ahab dies, the king of Moab says, maybe his son's a wimp and maybe he won't push back. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell him I'm not paying anymore. And you know what, that happens even today, when you have a change in leadership, you will see foreign countries try to push the new king or president or prime minister, whoever it is, to see if they can get away with more with whoever's now ruling and in charge. And so this is what happens. The king of the Moabites decides that, you know what? I don't wanna pay the taxes anymore. When King Ahab died, the king of Moab saw it as an opportunity to escape the heavy taxation. And that he's being enforced by King Ahab. He had a fear of Ahab, but he doesn't have a fear of Ahab's sons. And so because of that, he chooses not to pay his taxes. So the enemy will always test those who are standing for the things of God. And when you stand for the things of God, be prepared that there'll be times when people attack you or people persecute you. I've shared this with some of you. My wife worked at a public school for the last three years, and at the end of this year, it just got out out of control. They found out that she was a Christian, so they just started going after her, and it was out of control. And so finally, she quit her job, and she tried to stand for the Lord there, and she's got a little different personality than me. Praise God for that. Two of me would be way too much. Amen. But I love how... Amen. I love how God provides because my wife just had an interview and she's going to be working here next year. Amen? So, you know what? Sometimes persecution, God will move us to something better. Amen? But that being said, we should not be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. And we shouldn't be surprised when we make a stand for God that there are going to be people in the world who don't like it. And they're going to test your faith. And they're going to push your faith. And they're going to try to deny your faith. I had a young man tell me the other day, the Bible's a fairy tale. I'm like, based on what, bro? Well, it's a fairy tale. It's filled with lies. Okay. Name one. I love that. They just repeat something they heard from somebody else. Amen. Guys, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it and be able to stand up for it. Amen. Why do I believe in the Bible? Because it's proven historically, it's proven archeologically, it's proven prophetically. It's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's only possible because God wrote it, amen? And we need not to fear and cower back when the world we live in today is attacking the Lord and attacking those who follow him. Number three, may we not be moved too hastily by fear, fleshly desires or circumstances. So the new king, the son of Ahab's being challenged. What's he going to do? He could just let it go. And the Moabites would no longer pay their taxes. And sometimes that's what happens when you have a king who isn't a strong leader. So watch what happens. So King Jehoram went to Samaria at the time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab is rebelling against me. Will you go up with me to fight against Moab? So here's what happens. He realizes he's not paying his taxes. I can't stand for this. I can't allow him to be an open rebellion. So here's what I'm going to do. He goes throughout Israel. Samaria is the capital of Israel. And he musters up all the fighting men he can get. But he realizes that maybe he's going to be outnumbered and he needs some help. So he goes to Jehoshaphat, who's the king over Israel. Now, Jehoshaphat is a godly man. Jehoram is not. Jehoram seeks Jehoshaphat to come alongside him and fight against the Moabites. So he cries out to Jehoshaphat, and here's what Jehoshaphat says. I am as you are. He said to him, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? So here's what happens. Jehoshaphats asked to align himself with an ungodly king, and he says, I'll go. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong that he goes, but I'm concerned that he decides to any prayer right here? Did he seek the Lord? Did he ask for godly wisdom? Or did he just make a snap decision to go and fight alongside this ungodly king? Now, again, when we make quick decisions and when we operate in the flesh, we shouldn't be surprised when those decisions are a mistake. Amen? So here's what's happening is Jehoshaphat says, I'll go with you. And then Jehoram says to Jehoshaphat, which way should we go? So here, not only does he need his help, But he basically wants him to be in charge. See, Jehoshaphat had already won many battles and Jehoram has never won one. So he's seeking help and he goes to a godly man, which is wisdom on his part. But for Jehoshaphat to align himself with an ungodly king without seeking the Lord is a mistake. Jehoshaphat had an ongoing treaty with the Northern kingdom because his son is married to Ahab's daughter. Now again, that was a mistake, but they were married. And so because of that, they had a treaty, but it did not mean that he needed to go out and fight the battle with him. So he gets involved in the battle. He's gotten involved previous battles because of it. And Jehoram facing war with the Moabites knows he will need to get all the help that he can. But notice, Jehoram doesn't ask the Lord. When they don't pay tribute, he doesn't get on his knees and say, God, what should I do? God, how do I respond to this? let's make it practical. Your boss at work is asking you to do something that you don't feel comfortable with. What should you do? Get on your knees and ask the Lord. Amen. When you're going through trials and difficulty in your family or, or wherever you may be, instead of just responding immediately in the flesh, let's get on our knees and ask God for wisdom and direction. And Jehoshaphat doesn't do that. Neither did Jehoram. So surprisingly, he agrees so easily And Jehoshaphat was a godly king who followed in the footsteps of his godly father Asa, if you'll remember him. But even godly men and women can make the mistake of just responding in our flesh instead of seeking wisdom from the Lord. So he says to him, I'll go up. And he said, which way should we go? He said, by the wilderness of Edom. Jehoram was of Israel asked, Jehoshaphat of Judah for military advice because Jehoshaphat was more experienced in battle than he was. And Israel was going to be allied with Judah. We're going to see along the way, they're going to pick up the Edomites. So these three kings are going to go and attack Moab. And as they go up together, Israel again is aligned with with, uh, both Judah and Edom. They expected that they would come and attack them from the west. And instead, they're going to take a long trek around, go up through Edom and try to surprise the Moabites from the south. So they're going to take a much longer journey to try and go attack them. And again, we don't see anybody seeking the Lord. We don't see anybody praying about anything. He's joining arms and giving direction for their battle plans without. So he didn't seek the Lord if he should go. And now he doesn't seek the Lord about the plan. Doesn't seek the Lord at all. I had a guy called me today, one of my coworkers, he's interviewing for a job somewhere else because he needs more time with his family. And he called me up and we're talking. He's like, I need advice. And I'm driving to Palmdale on a sales call. So I got an hour and a half and he keeps asking my advice. I keep saying, bro, you know what we need to do right now? Pray. Can I get an amen to that? Let's just stop and let's just pray. Let's just ask the Lord for his will to be done. You know, God will open doors that no man can shut. Amen. And at the same time, Lord, if you don't want me to go, please shut the door so I don't go where I'm not supposed to be. Guys, we need to, God should not be the last resort. He should be the first stop. He should be the first place we turn to, the first one we ask. It's his wisdom that we should seek. It's okay to seek wisdom from other godly men and women, but the Lord should be the one that we go to first. So here we go. So far, no God involved whatsoever. And they're heading into battle, verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. Is that a problem in, in the desert? Is that a problem in the Mid- Middle East? No water. Now, have you ever noticed that when you don't seek the Lord, He loves you enough? to allow the consequences to get so difficult that you will seek the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? You know, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so he's not gonna let this go smoothly without them seeking him. And so what does he do? He brings them to a position where they're all gonna die in the desert. There's no water. Wouldn't Wouldn't you love to be leading an army of people who are walking across a hot desert with nothing to drink? And a bunch of animals that you use uh, to feed your people and some of the animals that you ride on into battle, and they're all, all going to die out in the heat. Now, here's the great news. And I want don't miss this lesson. This is a lesson that God taught me years ago, and it's all, all over scripture and I've never forgotten it. When you are stepping out in faith to do something, make sure that you know, that you know, that you know. That you know that you know that God is sending you. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. When we planted this church, when I planted the church in Santa Cruz, other things in my own life, I knew that God, I was so clearly, it was so clear to me. God confirmed it in scripture. He confirmed it through my wife. He confirmed, confirmed it in my own heart. That we're supposed to go and plant this church. So when you go do that and you step out in faith and things get difficult, if God told you to go, then it's God's problem. Amen. Can I get an amen to that? Now, what if there was no water like there is, but God had told him to go? Okay. Well, God's got it. Amen. You know, God knew there was going to be no water. God told us to go into battle. God will provide. We can trust him. Here's the problem. If you don't pray ahead of time and you don't seek the Lord and you don't wait to hear from God before you step out in faith, when the first problem comes along, you got two problems. You got the problem and what's even supposed to be here? Amen. Amen. And again, I, have, I love church plants, by the way. Um, you guys will love this. A, f- a dear friend of my son's who graduated from State College here met with us last week, and he is going to Brazil to plant the Calvary Chapel. And I have committed that our church will pay his rent, the rent for the church. Can I get an amen to that? We love to plant churches, He's going to a city where his brother lives. He grew up in Brazil. I love how God brought him together. He grew up in Brazil. His wife grew up in the Ukraine. They came to Santa Barbara to Bible college together. They got married and now they're going to Brazil to plant a church. I love how God does stuff, amen? So keep them in your prayers. But the point is that he sought godly counsel. He's waiting on, the, I told him that exact same thing. If you know that God's calling you, then God will sustain you. Well, God, they, don't, they haven't sought the Lord. So now they're out in the desert. Do you think there might be some murmuring? Make some of the soldiers like, who brought us out to this nonsense? And why are we here? And we're all going to die in the desert. And that's what happens when we don't wait upon the Lord and when we're not led by him. They went out into battle, putting their lands and their people and kingdoms at risk without seeking the Lord, without godly affirmation, affirmation, without godly direction. And the first problem, no water, no assurance of God's leading and his Presence, You know, when the Lord calls us, again, we can step out in faith and trust his promises. And when we step out without his clear confirmation, the first problem is only gonna be multiplied as we wonder if we were even to be there to begin with. Verse 10, and the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So here's what happens. So there's no water. And now Jehoram, the king of the north, who has not cried out to God at all, now says, oh, God brought us out here to die. Now, I love that when you don't seek the Lord, and then when things go wrong, you blame the Lord. Amen? People come to me. Yeah, my marriage is a mess. It's a disaster. You can't even believe how difficult it is. Okay. How long have you been married a year? Okay. Tell me about your relationship. Where'd you meet this girl? I met her at a At a, bar, at a what? I met her at a bar. Oh, you met her in a bar. Where's she out with the Lord? Well, you know, not really, doesn't really know the Lord. Okay. And uh, so how, how did your relationship? Oh, well, well, you know, we slept together tonight. we met. And, went, and they go down this list and then they get married and then they wonder why their marriage isn't honoring to the Lord when their courtship was never honoring to the Lord. Amen. And then we want to blame and God just, God just abandoned me. No, you abandoned God. Can I get an amen to that? So look, when we're making these decisions, when we're taking directions in this life, we need to make sure we're hearing from the Lord and we're confirming it in his word. And like I said, so now he basically says, Jehoram says, oh, we're all gonna die. The Moabites are gonna kill us all. We have no water. We're all gonna die of thirst out here. We have no hope. And again, he didn't seek God's direction, but he blamed God when it blew up in his Face. It had only been a year or so since the disastrous battle between Israel and the Ammonites that we looked at a while back, where Micaiah the prophet declared that Yahweh had allowed a deceiving spirit to go out and deceive the kings and let them be defeated. And again, it's that same mentality where we don't seek the Lord and then we want to blame God. Maybe we should simply ask Him and wait for the answer instead of making statements like God has forsaken us. It says in Psalm 91, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. What a great promise. Amen. Yes. That when you're in trouble, cry out to the Lord, he will rescue you. Now, I may not rescue you the way you want, But he will deliver you because he is a faithful, a loving, and a merciful God. So they've traveled a great distance to surprise the Moabites. They find themselves without water. They're in a place of desperation. And Jehoram feels guilty because he did not cry out to the Lord. And because of his lack of a relationship with God, and he sees their desperation, their desperate situation as righteous judgment from God. Now watch Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here? that we may inquire of the Lord by him. Now it took, it took Jehoshaphat to be in a place of desperation before he cries out to the Lord. Guys, it's always better to cry out to the Lord before you get into a place of desperation. Amen. It's better to cry out to the Lord before you go out without seeking him and everything's a big mess. It's better to trust in the Lord and wait upon the Lord and seek the Lord's wisdom and his direction and not move until he confirms that you should. Now, again, it's not always easy, but it's always worth it to wait upon the Lord. Jehoshaphat has the right idea. And sadly, you know, he does point them to the Lord, but he should have done it sooner. It says in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my Fears. So he's saying, look, is there somebody godly? Again, it could have saved some heartache if they'd done it sooner. Look at verse 11, verse 12, excuse me, verse 11. So he said, is there some we can... So the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. I love that way that Elisha is described. If you were here a few weeks ago, you saw that Elisha would not let go of Elijah. When Elijah, he knew his time was coming to an end and he kept trying to leave Elisha behind. Like, you just stay here. I'm going to go further on with the Lord. He said, wherever you're going, I'm going. Because he wanted to learn. He wanted to grow. And if you remember, he cried out when he said he can have anything. You can have anything. He said, I want a double portion of what you've given to Elijah. I want to be a man as godly as him. I want to follow his example. And he said, if you can see me ascend and God, you'll have what you've asked for. And he saw Elijah ascend up into heaven. And now Elisha is God's man. Now you would think that'd be a good resource for the king. Because do you know where Elisha lives? He doesn't, live in Ju- he doesn't live in Judah in the South. He lives in Israel. And he's constantly confronting the kings of Israel. And at some point you think they'd bring him, move him into the palace so they could constantly seek his direction and constantly seek the Lord. But what again happens here is, God's the last resort, not the first place they turn. And for Christians too often, that's the case. We try to get it fixed our own way. And we only cry out to God when we've lost all other opportunity. When we have nowhere else to turn, we don't know what to do. So then, and only then, do we cry out to the Lord. So he asks if there's a prophet. Again, he wants to to focus back on the Lord. And then it says there in verse 12, and Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now I love this picture because usually the king, the kings don't go down to anybody. They tell people to come to them, go, go some and so-and-so and drag him up here. And what happens instead, they recognize that Elisha is a man of God. They've been humbled a bit by doing things their own way. And instead of calling for Elisha to come to them, these three kings travel down to where Elisha is to seek his direction. And you know, when I read the Bible, when I study chapters, I kind of put myself in the scene. I just imagine Elisha being in his little house or wherever he is and a knock on the door and he opens the door and there stand three kings. And these three kings with their crowns on are seeking wisdom from Elisha. Because again, just because someone is in a position of authority doesn't mean that they're you know, going to be used mildly by God if they don't submit to him. And so Elisha is there and watch how Elisha responds. Look what it says in point number four. A man of God is to speak the word of God without compromise or regard for men. Too many people will change the message because they want to impress the audience or they're afraid of the person they're sitting in front of, they're fearful that they might be judged by it. My favorite people to always think about when I think about this is Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, amen? Because what, each time they were told, chapter three, bow, when the music is played, bow to this idol of King Nebuchadnezzar. The music plays, everybody drops, and those three Israelite boys are just standing there. I am bound, not doing it. They bring him in front of Nebuchadnezzar, who was not afraid to put people to death and in dramatic ways. And he basically says to them, when the music plays, you will bow. And if not, you know, I will throw you into the fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And I love the response of these three Jewish boys, probably in the early twenties at this point. And they say, we will not bow and our God will deliver us. But even if not, we'll never bow. So we know what happens. They throw him into the fiery furnace. And when he, he gets, remember, he gets angry. I, I can just see, I can just see Nebuchadnezzar's veins in his head popping. When he's, he says, heat the fire up, heat it up seven times hotter. How hot does fire need to be to burn you? But he's screaming. He's so di- indignant. And what happens when they open up the, you know, the furnace, and by the way, the furnace, you, you drop things in from the top and they could see him from the side that it was so hot that it killed the soldiers that brought him up there. And what happened? That man who said, who's the God will deliver you out of my hands, looks into the fiery furnace and he sees not three men bound, but four walking around. And one of them in the likeness of the son of, the son of God. Now, see, I love this because he took a stand for the things of God. It brought Nebuchadnezzar to his knees. He went from who is the God will deliver you out of my hands to come out, come out, you servant of the most high God. And so we need people to make a bold stand. And Elisha here could easily be overwhelmed by these kings to know that they could put him to death. But here's the reality. You can't threaten a believer with heaven. Amen? The worst thing the world can do to us is the best thing that could happen to us. Let's stop being afraid of the world. Let's stop stop kowtowing to the things of the world. Let's stop being impressed with worldly positions and authority. Now, again, we submit to the authorities that God's placed over us until they tell us to disobey God, amen? And we pray for them. And so these kings come to his door and they're seeking wisdom from Elisha. And again, he could have scraped and bowed to watch what happens. Verse 14. Verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what am I to do with you? Man, I love it. King shows up, dude, what do you want? I haven't seen you in a long time, bro. Where you been? We haven't, we haven't been praying together. We, have, we haven't sought the Lord together. You're just showing up down here. And he's basically letting them know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not fearful of you. What do I need to do with you? And he's basically calling him out. he hasn't been seeking the Lord. And then he says there, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Hey, now, now who are the prophets of his father and mother? Who are they? Baal. Baal and Asheroth. All the prophets of Baal are dead. Amen. Hey, you want to get an answer? Go to the false gods you worship. Why are you coming to talk to me? You don't know the Lord. Go to the false gods you worship. Now, again, we can be kind and loving if someone comes in sincerity. But He's making about a point here. You wait until it's a mess and then you want to come to the true and living God. You should have come here a long time ago. Go, go find out from your gods how that's going to work out. Go seek the gods of your land. A man of God is to speak the word of God with uncompromising truth uh, found in the word, not being fearful or a respecter of persons, their position, their power, or their wealth. He says, but the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Go to your gods. No, no, we're in trouble. The the king of Moab is going to kill us all. We don't know what to do. You know what he's admitting? My gods are worthless. Amen. My gods are of no value. My gods don't exist. Hey, go back to that golden calf that you have up in Bethel and pray there. Go up to the golden calf up in Dan. Cry out to, to the false gods of this world. It's an opportunity for these men to recognize who the true and living God is. Now, notice what he says in verse 14. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. So he's not impressed with the king of Israel at all. He knows that he's a godless man. He knows that he's a pagan idol worshiper. And he says, I'm only going to respond to you because Jehoshaphat is a godly man. And here's what that tells us. That godly men and women are a blessing to have in the presence of even ungodly people because God will hear their prayers and God will bless them. And that entire nation can be blessed for the sake of those people. Can I get an amen to that? God when you show up in the office, the Holy Spirit just showed up and God will bless where you work because you're there. Amen. And so we see here that he says, look, because Jehoshaphat's here, I'll answer your, answer your question. I'll pray for you. I'll intercede for you. I'll give direction to you. But if a godly man wasn't here, I don't have any time for you. Guys, if you don't know the Lord, your prayers will not be heard by God. And people, people blow back on me on that one. Oh, pastor, come on. I think you're limiting that. Uh, we can only come to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? You cannot come to the Father apart from the Son. So if you have rejected the Son, the Father doesn't hear your prayers unless it's a prayer of repentance unto salvation. Amen? So Jehoshaphat's in the room, and Elisha is willing to say, okay, let's intercede. There's a godly man here. Let's go before the Lord. Let's seek his face. And again, notice he makes it clear that the one that he stands before is the Lord. He doesn't say, I stand before the kings. He says, I stand before the Lord. I'm going to be judged by God, not by men. I'm not afraid of what men will do to me. Hey, in the last year, we've talked about this a lot. I don't think that the church changed. I think the church was revealed. Amen. Amen? People who love God are not going to allow the government to tell us to stop worshiping God. Amen. And we're not going to allow fear and anxiety and worry to keep us from gathering together as the Lord has commanded us to do. Amen. But too often what happens is people will use the government as a cop-out for disobeying God. And you know what? I will obey the government till they tell me to disobey God that I don't obey the government anymore because we're to obey God rather than man. Amen. And that's the exhortation here. These kings are doing things according to the wills of men, And Elisha's like, I stand before God. I don't stand before you guys. He's basically letting them know. I'm not all that impressed with all three. I don't care that you're kings. It doesn't matter to me. Cause you know what you guys? Oh, Jehoshaphat's here. All right. He's a godly man for his sake. I will intercede on your behalf. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, the fear of man brings a stare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Let me say that one more time. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings the snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will or shall be safe. Now notice what happens. He says, okay, I will intercede on your behalf. Verse 15, worship brings, point number five, us into God's presence and prepares us to receive from him. Now I love this. Look at verse 15. oh, wait a minute. He said there, verse 14, I'm sorry. As, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will stand in regard because of Josephat. I will not look at you nor see you. Talking about the other. Now bring, but now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now I love this. So what happens? He knows he wants to come before God. But for him to come before God, the first things he asked for is someone to come and for him to enter into a place of worship so he can come into the presence of the Lord. And you'll see throughout scripture, you know, people that are used mightily by God were people of worship. David would just worship the Lord when nobody was there. You know, it's because he was a spirit-filled man of God who worshiped God that when he showed up in the camp when everybody was scared half to death when they were fighting the Philistines and the 11 foot 750 Goliath would step out and everybody would cower that King David didn't see a huge man against uh, a puny boy. He saw a puny man against Almighty God. Who is this God? Who is this? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? See, if we we are people of worship, we will have intimate fellowship with the Lord. And if we spend time in God's presence and worship, it will draw us closer to him, give us a greater desire and passion for him and a greater hunger for his word. Can I get an amen to that? Show me somebody who doesn't love worship and I'll show you somebody whose walk with the Lord is lukewarm or non-existent. Can I get an amen to that? I will say this too. There's times when you don't feel like worshiping. That's when you need to worship the most. Amen? Church starts at 7 and at 10 a.m. Can I get an amen to that? I get it. We work late on Thursdays. If you got here late, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not But the point is, worship's important. Amen? And I would encourage you, instead of listening to the radio, put some Christian music in and worship the Lord when you're driving around. Can I get an amen to that? I think I told you guys a couple weeks ago, it was hilarious. I'm listening to some there's nothing better than you, right? And I'm cranking now. my car because I drive a lot. I have a sound system that I love, okay? It's in a Rolls Royce and it's in my car, okay? And I mean, I bump for Jesus wherever I go. I drove to, I drove to uh, Antelope Valley and back. And by the time I got home, I couldn't hear. You know what I mean? But I'm cranking that at the corner, coming to church here two weeks ago. And this car pulls up beside me and they're they're like getting my attention and then I roll my window down and all three of us are just shouting this song at the top of our lungs in the intersection. And you know what? I love those people. I mean, I said, now if I don't see you again, I'll see you and have more are you guys going? We're going to Bible study. Yeah, me too. God bless you. Hey guys, worship is what we were created to do. Amen. Amen? And worship is so precious. And so if you want to, I feel dry in my walk. Was the last time you worshiped? I feel dry in my relationship with the Lord. I feel distant from God. Was the last time you spent time in prayer? I don't feel intimacy with God. I, I'm lacking faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of, word of God. So you want to grow in faith, spend time in the word. You want to grow in intimacy with the Lord, hit your knees and pray. And I don't mean over your Wheaties. Can I get an amen? amen. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Jesus name, amen. That's not a prayer life. Amen. Unhurried time in God's presence. I love that as he's going to share with these kings, he says, okay, let's stop. We need to worship. I want to hear from God. I need to spend some time in his presence. And guys, when we come before the Lord, I, pr- I want to encourage you, don't do it in a hurry. Turn off Netflix. Can I get an amen? Put your phone away. Get on your knees. Seek the Lord. Guys, if you want to walk, you're as close to God as you want to be. If you're far away, that's not his fault. That's your fault. That's my fault. Amen? And if you want intimate fellowship with God, that means you're going to have to st- stop and be still and spend time in his presence. I think music has a way of impacting a person's soul and as worship does, and its ability to open them up to the work of God. David's music had an effect on Saul's life. I don't know if you remember that when Saul had a distressing spirit that he called for David, David would come in and play a harp and the distressing spirit would leave. So you know what Satan hates? He hates worship. He's allergic to it and he flees from it. Amen. And so spending time in worship is so, so important in the life of a believer, you know when we're filled with the holy spirits one of the of well, the spirit one of the results as there will be music in our hearts. It says in Ephesians 5, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all the things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The command is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but the grammar suggests that what follows that is worship that someone who's got a spirit filled life is also going to have a life that is filled with worship. We can't praise him enough for what he's already done. And you know what happens when you worship? It gets your eyes off of you and get your eyes on him. It gets your eyes off your circumstances and it gets your eyes on the greatness of your God. Amen. And guys, I'm just, I'm encouraging you again and again, uh, worship, worship, worship. And again, it happened and the musician played that the hand of the Lord, it said there, came upon him. When the worship was played, the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah as he was worshiping God. As he waited on the Lord, it said in verse 16, verse 16, he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. What? He cries out to God and they're waiting for an answer. And he says, here's what you need to do. Go back out into that hot desert with that hard ground out there and dig some ditches. Really, bro? I'm looking for something better. And sometimes when we pray, we want God to give us our answer, not his answer. Amen? Well, God, I just want you to give me this. Well, I prayed for the promotion. Just give it to me. And here's what happens. Go dig ditches. Now, can you imagine the three kings running back and gathering their guys up? Hey, we went and met with the prophet. He prayed. He sought the Lord. Here's what we need to do. Dig some holes dude, really? It's a hundred degrees out here. We're already dying of thirst. You want us to dig holes? Yes. Now the next point here is obey God's word and commands, even when they don't make sense to us. See, this doesn't make any sense to them. For thus says the Lord, verse 17, you shall see the wind. You shall not see the wind, nor shall you see the rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hands. So they're coming looking for answers. The answer that they get is something hard for them to understand. And then he explains to them, look, it's not going to rain. You're not going to see any wind, but if you will dig the ditches, I will fill them with water. By the way, that's simple for me. And by the way, you're going to defeat the Moabites. That's our God. Amen. Now, they still had to dig the ditches. Amen? amen. And so how much water do you want? Well, you'll get as much water as deep as you dig. Amen? amen. Some guys don't want to dig. Some guys don't want to press into the kingdom of God. Some guys don't want to have to serve as a sacrifice to draw closer to the Lord. They want God to just do it all while they sit back and eat a bag of chips. Amen. And he's saying, look, I'll tell you what, if you had faith in God, you'd be digging a swimming pool. Can I get an Amen. When the water gets here, I'm going to feed it. I'm going to be lounging. Lord, I'm, I'm ready to dig as deep as I need to. And so how do we respond when God asks us to do something that doesn't always make sense and isn't going to be answered immediately? Do we trust God? Do we obey him? And do we do it trusting that in the end, he will bring about his perfect will if we will simply obey him, amen? So he goes back and gives him and tells him, and oh, by the way, you're going to defeat the Moabites. Dig a ditch the water will come. It's not coming by rain. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to happen, but dig a ditch. Now, let me say this. In ministry, often we have to dig the ditch before the rain comes. When I first moved down here, they asked me, and it wasn't time yet because of my boys, to be an interim pastor at a church until they found a pastor. And so I went and served there for a while. And my first Sunday there, the church had been there like 15 years. And my first Sunday there, I noticed no children's ministry, none. And I'm like, you don't have a children's ministry. No, we don't have any kids. As soon as we get kids, we'll have a children's ministry. I go, no, no. As soon as you have a children's ministry, you'll start having kids. Can I get an amen to that? Because kids would show up and they'd sit them over in a corner during worship and their parents, you know, with a coloring book and no way to minister to their kids. You think they're coming back? The church had no midweek study. It had no wind study. It had no women's study it had no, it didn't have anybody making tapes of the messages. It didn't have, they didn't have anything to hand out to give to somebody. I walked in and I said, you don't have a church. You got a wimpy Bible studies, what you've got. It's a Bible study, but you're not doing anything to reach the community around you or to prepare yourself to reach this community. And no wonder after 15 years, nobody's coming. Can I get an amen? You have to dig the well in anticipation so that when the people come, you're ready to minister to them. Does that make sense? Bible says for a lack of vision, the people perish. I mean, there are two weeks that are elders. They didn't like me at all. I'm like, bro, first of all, we're doing this, this, this. and that. Oh no, we can't do any of that. Well, how about you're all fired? They didn't like that either. Amen. I'm like, do you guys want to? Have, and so basically what happened was I said, look, I'll come, but we're going to do all these. Well, we don't want to do that. I'm out. I'm out. Why? Because for a lack of vision, the people perish. Guess what? Fast forward another 15 years, church is still the same. Why? Because we don't take the time to be obedient, to dig in and do what the Lord has called us to do. Amen. For lack of vision, the people perish. No children's ministry, no women's study. We don't have it. We should not wait to be prepared to share our faith until someone asks us about Jesus. Dig a trench. Be ready. Be prepared. Study to show yourself approved. A workman need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I know that's for pastors, but every believer should be able to share their faith. And don't wait till someone asks you and then you don't have the answer. And I don't mind. Call me, but I get calls and they're like, well, I was talking to this guy at lunch and he asked me this. I don't know the answer. And they get mad at me when I say, "Go read this chapter." Oh no! I just just tell me the answer. No, go read the chapter. Then you'll know the answer. Can I get him into that? But here's the reality. We can't wait until the moment of truth to try to to, to rally. We need to spend time with the Lord so we're ready. By the way, if you spend time in the word and you're ready to share your faith, you will share your faith more, amen? You will have more divine appointments. God will bring more people into your path when you're ready to do it. So he's telling them, dig a ditch, dig trenches, get ready for the water that's coming. And if you don't dig them, guess what? it'll just be a flash flood and you'll miss out on it completely. So I love that picture here to go out and trust God. They were looking only to survive and God is going to give them victory over the enemy. All they were asking was, can you help us here? We're all going to die in the wilderness. Too many Christians. This is how you live your life. You come to God, just asking for him to get you through the day. And sometimes, you know, that's okay. By the way, one of my favorite prayers. You ready? Here it is. Help. I pray that a lot. Seriously. God help. I'll be talking to somebody on the phone. I'll be doing counseling. God help. I don't know what to God help. Amen. That being said, praise God for that opportunity, but we need to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord and be in a place where we're not just looking to survive for today. Too many people are desperate just to get through today. Why don't you be praying about how God can use you for the rest of your life? Amen. Be praying. Say, God, show me your direction. Show me your will for my life. Help me to walk in the center of your will. Lord, I'm available. Here I am, Lord. Send me instead of, hey, things are tough today. Just get me out of this mess. And then you ignore God till another mess comes along. I had friends who used to say, I've had several people tell me, well, I only come to God when, I'm, when things are a mess. And I've had a lot of messes lately. And I'm like, well, that's because God misses you. Can I get an amen to that? You know, we need to come to the Lord always. We need to seek his face always and not just wait until we're in a place of desperation to cry out to the Lord. They're looking only to survive. And he's letting them know, I'm not only gonna give you water, I'm gonna give you a victory over your enemy because it's nothing for me. Is there anything too great for God? Anything. Is cancer too great for God? Finance is too great for God. Rebellious children too great for God the mess our country is becoming too great for God. California needing Jesus. Is that too great for God? Our God is greater. Amen. And we have not because we ask not. Now it says there in verse 19, also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stand, stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones as Christian soldiers, are listed, we are listed in a spiritual battle. And it's a good reminder to remember that greater is he that is in us that is in the world. We are all fighting a spiritual battle every day. and He's giving them instructions. He's going to say, look, you're going to defeat the enemy. And when you're done, I want you to destroy the land they live on. I want you to cut down all the trees. I want you to wipe it all out. Why? He's bringing righteous judgment upon a pagan land that rejects the true and living God. And again, when God brings judgment, it's always an opportunity for repentance. And certainly that would be the case. We're going to see that the Moabites do not repent. Look at verse 20. Now, what happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came the way of Eden and the land was filled with water. Look at that. So they get up in the morning and they make sacrifices before the Lord. And as they're worshiping the Lord and making sacrifices before him, it doesn't tell us how the water got there, it wasn't raining some believe it was a flash flood that came down from the mountains and filled up every trench with water. So now the water was not an an issue. And knowing that God said he would provide water, he had also said he'd bring them victory over the Moabites so they could rest in the fact that because he is faithful to this promise, he will also be faithful to that one. Amen. Now watch how God wins this battle. He's not even really going to use them. They're going to be an afterthought. Number six, obey God's commands when they don't make sense in the moment. Dig trenches, they did. And when the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and stood at the border. Then they arose up early in the morning. The sun was shining on the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil here's what God did. They woke up in the morning and when they see the reflection of the water in the trenches, God did something or just naturally it happened. They saw that water as being red and they thought blood was throwing in the val- blood was flowing in the valley. And so they thought that Israel and Edom and Judah had all fought against each other. And they're just going to march down there and wipe them all out. So God's going to bring them down into the battle They're going to come down thinking that they have won the battle. We already know that God told them that the battle was going to be won by the children of Israel. Now the whole account of the provision here of God in the wilderness, I relate a lot of this to Christian leadership. Take a sidestep here and then we'll finish up the text. Like digging ditches, leadership in the Christian church is hard work. My son-in-law had me speak to his discipleship group at his church one of the things my son-in-law asked, he's got a, a good group of guys who really want to be in ministry and are hungry. And he said to me, what advice would you give these guys who want to be in ministry? What is the first thing they need to learn? Obviously, along with intimate fellowship with God, the first thing we need to learn is to have the heart of a servant. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. If you will not serve, you, will ne- you should never lead. Amen. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? The servant, servant, of, all. servant of all. So being a servant. And I let them know ministry is hard work. If you're doing it well, it's going to be hard work. I don't say this a lot, but I have a full job and I was gone for a week. So I stayed up all night last night to study for tonight and then went on sales calls in Antelope Valley, got home and studied for another six hours and then came to church. Now, let me just say this. I'm the most blessed people of all because you were napping. I was hanging out with Jesus. So who had the better deal on that one? Can I get an amen to that? But the point is, when you're called to do something for the Lord, you want to do it, and want, you want to do it well. Amen? And to do it well is going to require work. You're told by the sweat of your brow, the days of your life, it says in Genesis, but it says a workman, of speaking of the word of God, who need not be ashamed. We need to study to the point, When's was the last time I tell pastors, when was the last time you studied to the point of exhaustion? And so hanging out with Jesus. So ministry is not for, it should be for everyone, but recognize that going into, well, I I tried that, but it was difficult. It was supposed to be. Amen. I just want to be on the cruise ship to heaven. I don't like the rest of this stuff. (laughs) Like digging ditches, leadership is done with faith in the future. Here's what happens. When you go out, sometimes you, 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 you spend time in the Lord and you work hard and you don't immediately see fruit church I planted in, we planted in Santa Cruz. You know, the first Sunday, there was like 300 people there because all the well-wishers from the church of 3000 where I was an assistant showed up. The next week we had more people on the worship team than than we had listening. And after six months, the other people that were with me wanted to quit because they said nothing, it's not going to work. We thought it would grow faster. It's not growing faster. And I said, look, God grows the church. We just need to be faithful to do what God's called us to do and leave the results up to him. Can I get an amen to that? And I told them all, if you all want to go back to San Jose, God bless you. I'm staying. And you know what? We stayed. And over time, God blessed it. The church grew. We planted other churches out of it. God was glorified. Guys, we need to be faithful, even if we don't see the immediate fruit, because the fruit's not up to us, it's up to the Lord. Can I get amen to that? So it's hard work. And it doesn't always blossom as quickly as we think. Like digging ditches, leadership is blessed beyond reasonable expectation. God will do exceedingly and abundantly of all we ask or hope. Like digging ditches, leadership must use de- with delegation. Do you think the kings dug all the trenches? What do you think? They went and told their guys to dig them. But here's the reality. The only way that ministry works is if we give ministry away. And I love giving ministry away. By the way, there's about 10 more ministries I'd love to do in this church, but I will never tell you what to do because if I call you, I have to sustain you. And if God calls you, he will sustain you. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. So as God's putting things on your heart, hey, we need, I'd love to see us do, come talk to me about it. Because look, we want to let you use your gifts. Amen. We're not trying to, we don't want to do all the ministry. We love doing it, but we want to see you use your gifts. and we want to see God bless the church. Like digging ditches, the work of leadership will be criticized and doubted. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. I promise you, when you make a stand for the things of God, not everybody's going to like it. But we stand for him anyway. You heard me say it a couple weeks ago. I saw this online. A pastor should have the the mind of a theologian, the heart of a child, and the the skin of a rhinoceros. Amen? Amen which means that you're not easily offended. If you're easily offended, ministry won't work. Like digging ditches, uh, leadership means not accepting the present state of dryness in your own life. Like digging ditches, a work of leadership often seems unimpressive or unspectacular. Don't always see, again, the immediate results. Like digging ditches, a work of leadership is purposely used and relied on by God. God didn't need the ditches, but he chose to use them to prepare his people for something greater. He let them participate. He let them dig ditch. Could he have just brought water down without ditches? What's the answer? But he let them participate. He let them see that if they were faithful to what God commanded him, commanded them, he would bless them. Let's finish up. So they thought it was blood. They're going down to the spoil. Verse 24. So when they came up to the camp of Israel, Israel arose, attacked the Moabites. So they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities. And each man threw a stone on each piece of, of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees that being obedient to the Lord. But they left the stones of Kirjath Heseth intact. However, the slingers around, however, the slingers are surrounded and attacked them. And when the king of Moab, last point, hard hearts will choose their false gods over the grace of the true and living God. When the king of Moab saw the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son who had reigned in his place, or would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him, returned to their own land. So God had told him, I'm going to give you victory. And when you go in, I want you to destroy the city. They're bringing destruction to the city. Here's an opportunity for the Moabites to repent. Instead, he takes and sacrifices his his kid, his son, to the false God that they worship, who was proven not to be God because they just got wiped out by the true and living God. Amen? But people's hearts are so hard that they will go to the grave holding on to their false God. Have you ever witnessed somebody who's so arrogant and so prideful, and even when you show, they don't care if it is true, they're not going to believe it. And sadly, we see that too often in the world today. There was great indignation against Israel. And, you know, there is a, a, a remarkable archaeological discovery, again, called the Moabite Stone, which campaign, contains Misha's own record of these events, this king. So this battle took place, right, 2,700 roughly years ago, and his record, of how this happened is in there. And you know what he writes in his record? That he won. He writes that he won the battle and that Israel went home because they had defeated him. No, Israel went home because God was done doing what he was doing. The Moabites had lost the battle. From this point forward, we'll see that they're paying their tribute again. And the Israelites go back to the place where God had commanded them to be. So in closing, the battle belongs to the Lord. Be hot or cold. Again, Ahab and Jezebel were not the example for their son to follow. They should have followed the example of the true and living God. The enemy will test the resolve of those that are following the Lord. When you follow God, expect that there will be resistance. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. May we not be moved too hastily by fear, fleshly desires, or circumstances. Too often, we're going to just jump out and fix a problem without seeking the Lord. The Bible tells us that the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. A man of God is to speak the word of God without compromise or regard of men. God, we shouldn't be fearful. We shouldn't water down the message. Again, because we fear what men will, how men will respond. Worship brings us into God's presence and prepares us to receive from him. Worship is one of the few things we do on earth that we'll do in heaven. We obey God's commands even when they don't make sense. So when the word of God says it, even when you don't understand it, you obey him anyway. And then finally, hard hearts will choose the false gods over the grace of the true and living God. We're out of time, but I'm going to take a few minutes. Um, if you're new on, coming new on uh, Thursday nights, every week I want to give at least a couple of minutes to ask any question about tonight's text. Anything, you know, if you've read ahead. By the way, I want to encourage you, read ahead every week. And you'll, if you have questions, if they're not answered during the message, you can answer them after the message. Just take a few minutes. The board team will come up in a minute. But anybody have any questions or thoughts about tonight's text? Anybody at all? could have been. It doesn't tell us, but God obviously did it. It absolutely could have been the sunrise. Could have been, he may have them dig ditches because who knows, maybe the sand's red. I don't know. But whatever it is, it caused them to think they'd won the victory. And when they ran out, God brought the victory. Amen. You obey God, let him, let him work it out. Amen. Anybody else? I right, worship him. Coming up. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to obey you, to honor you, to run first to you and not to the world, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, to drop to our knees before we make decisions, to walk in the center of your will, to seek godly counsel. Lord, we want to live trusting that the battle indeed does belong to you that we're in your army. We want to be faithful servants, faithful soldiers. Lord, we know that the Christian life is not a cruise ship to heaven, but it truly is a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. And Lord, we want to be faithful to the calling you've placed upon our lives. I pray for, for everybody here tonight they may not know what their gifting is, that Lord, they would spend time in your presence in prayer, spend time in your word, and you would reveal to them how you want to use them, the gifts you've given them, they would be used for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we pray for the Canao Valley and beyond that, Lord, you bring revival here, but start in our hearts first. Lord, you're the good shepherd. You're the shepherd of this fellowship. Lord, we want to honor you in every way. Lord, I pray for everyone here, whatever they may be going through, may you comfort them. May you encourage them. May you rebuke us if we need it, exhort us if necessary. Lord, keep us humble, keep us broken, keep us desperate, keep us usable for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask these things in your holy and precious name we pray and all God's people said.